Amen. There's a lot more hair in the tenor section than I'm used to today. <laughs> a little more maturity too, that's right, Nathan. If you have a Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. 10 as you're opening up there. Let me just commend these students behind me. What a great job you did uh, leading us in worship this morning. I'm so thankful for you and, and proud of you guys. Um, I was just sitting there thinking about which of you I've seen run that way instead of standing there like little adults, you know, or big adults, whatever, and lead us in worship in this way. What a joy it is to get to watch you grow up here over the years and see the way the Lord's at work in your lives and uh, so proud of you all and proud of uh, Cole and Alicia and the work they're doing there in our student ministry. We're a blessed church. We're such a blessed church to see the different generations in the ways that we do here. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. If you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Uh, Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray together. Oh God, we ask you today, if you would, please open our hearts and minds and God, we pray that we'll receive your word and that we'll be changed by the power of your word today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I bet you know what today is. Today, I, you know, there's a holiday for everything now. But I've, I've officially declared today International Sunday Afternoon Nap Day. <laughs> and uh, you've lost an hour of sleep and... Uh, here you are at church anyway. Uh, some of you might have just rolled over and turned the TV on. I don't know. And you're, but nonetheless, you've, you've had an hour less sleep this week than you did last week, presumably speaking. And so why don't we say that this is International uh, Sunday Afternoon Nap Day? I think we should. I think we should. Every Sunday's that for me, but you get the point. It's uh, International Sunday Afternoon Nap Day. It's a nice thing, though, to be able to pause and to rest. I couldn't find out exactly who said it, but I've heard it say, said before that uh, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I think I've seen it attributed to C.S. Lewis, but every quote's been attributed to C.S. Lewis at some point or another. But it is good to be able to pause and rest. And indeed, what's true about that quote is it is spiritually important for us to rest. God built it, in, even in the way we measure time. Uh, God built in a day that he said was set aside for rest. It's important for us to take time to rest. Nonetheless, I think all of us are tired. 
I've just sensed uh, as a pastor and just as a person who observes the way the world is and just in my own heart and life, just a sense of exhaustion and tiredness among folks everywhere I turn, and I'm not sure a nap can fix it. Two years ago, this, two years ago today, uh, we announced we were canceling our revival the next week, and two years ago tomorrow, we announced we were not going to be worshiping in person for the foreseeable future. Now, I can't tell if that feels like two months or 20 years ago right now, but it, it certainly feels like just yesterday and like this has been, well, all we've ever done is live in the COVID world. All of us are exhausted by the last two years. It's been a roller coaster of life. Uh, so I think we have COVID fatigue. I think we have world events fatigue. I saw a meme the other day that said, I can't wait to live in precedented times again. I'm ready for precedented times. And it does feel like every time we move on past one thing, another rears its ugly head. Like we're struggling with other people fatigue. Just folks. Folks can make you tired. I've got three little folks in my house that live in my house that make me tired. Usually it's a good tired, but nonetheless, some of us feel like we're doing our part on whatever it might be. We're doing our part, but nobody else is. I, I want you to remember when you grow frustrated with what other people aren't doing all the time, though, just remember the world's designed to make you feel self-righteous. To make you feel like you're the only person doing anything. Other folks might be doing something else. And that's okay. You know, so I, I just hear people all the time talking about how they felt like they were doing their part on COVID. Or they were doing their part on who they voted for. Or they were doing their part on this. Or they're doing their part on that. I'm frustrated with other folks. There's all kinds of reasons. Some of you are tired from suffering. Just from suffering. From worrying. From anxiety. Some of us are just tired of trying to love folks in a crazy world. It's hard to even know. Every time you decide, this is how I feel like I should love somebody, somebody will come along and say, that's not how you love folks, you actually hate people. It's hard to do. No matter why you're tired, though, it's easy to want to just throw our hands up and just not have to deal with anything. Just forget it, I'm going to do what I want to do, and forget all the rest of this stuff, and just be focused on me, and my family, and doing the best I can do. There, but I want you to remember something. Hope something you never forget. We are Christians. We're Christians. God has put you, if you're a Christian, you believe God has put you here and now for a purpose. I mean, we believe in the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. God knew that you would be born and live through the long two years of 2020. He knew that. We're Christians. God is at work in your life through the Holy Spirit to bless the world. We are Christians. The Bible asks Christians not to grow weary in doing good. Not to grow weary, not to get tired of doing good. And you may be sick of doing good today. And I say, that's all I ever hear about is doing good. Sometimes I worry about that with my own children. And all they ever hear from me is, you need to do better, you need to do better, you need to do better. Can you tighten it up here? Can you tighten it up there? Maybe that's how you feel, but I, I want you to know that God has breathed grace into your life. He's given you the Holy Spirit in your heart. And he's empowering you to continue to do good. And I want to encourage you to remember, you are a Christian. Do not grow tired. 
Do not grow weary in well-doing. God's put us here for this. Three truths I want to show you this morning to help you not get tired in doing good. Three truths by the power of the Holy Spirit that I think will empower you to do good to others even when you feel exhausted, even when you feel weary. And just remember this, though. Just a little grace note for those around you. If you think you're tired, imagine those who don't have the Holy Spirit who are trying to do what's right. How weary they may be. We live in a weary world, but we must not grow weary in doing good. And I want to show you three truths this morning that will help you see that. Here's the first. Christians sow to the Spirit. Christians sow to the Spirit. Paul's been at work in Galatians to help make sure that the Galatian believers are not trying to root their justification, their salvation in works. And in particular, he's trying to make sure that they don't turn back to works of the law from the gospel of grace. But in doing so now, Paul in the last few chapters has really, last few verses in particular, passages, Paul has worked really hard and very intentionally to make sure that because we believe in grace, we don't nonetheless fall into two errors. Two errors. One error, one error is um, antinomianism. Now, that's a big word, but I want you to know what it means. It means licentiousness or a, a commitment to sinning because you don't think God has any binding commands on Christians. Antinomianism just means anti-lawism. It just means to act like God doesn't care about anything. So it's really easy to kind of fall into a sort of licentiousness or antinomianism. But Paul's also trying to make sure that the Galatians don't fall into the error of legalism, thinking that, that God's grace is all that we need to be saved, but then on the other end, we can grow in Christ through works of the law. He's trying to make sure they don't fall into either of those two errors. And that's why here in verse 7, Paul is making it clear again, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. You might hear grace. Does that mean that we should sin so that grace may abound? You may hear the message of Galatians and think, well, if it's all grace, it doesn't really matter what I do. Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. It's just true. It's a truism of life. Your life is hidden, my friends, with Christ in God, the Bible says. You are living life by the Holy Spirit. You cannot see the Holy Spirit. You can't put hands on the Holy Spirit. And so it can be a tough way to live, to live according to the Spirit, to live a life that's hidden with Christ in God. All your righteousness can't be seen, right? Um... That's a tough way to live in a world of Instagram. I, I saw this thing uh, this week. People mean well. People mean well. People mean well. They want to help folks, they, so, they, so it seems. But I saw a video of a guy helping a homeless man. He said, before I help him, I need to be friends with him. And so this whole montage of a guy with a homeless person being his friend, everybody's like, wow, how sweet that you would be friends, of all things, with a homeless person. It's one thing to do that. I think it's a good thing to do. It's another thing to do it in a way that everybody sees it. I don't want to 
cast aspersions on that person's attitude or their heart behind it. Maybe they meant to do well. And apparently you can make some money doing this sort of thing and they can give more away. So I understand that. But I say all that to say in a world where almost all righteousness gets put on display, it's hard to live a, a life where your righteousness is hidden sometimes, where you can't see everything you're doing. But notice what the Bible says. That which you sow... You also reap. This is not um, works-based salvation. This is not works-based thinking. So often we think that because listen to what he goes on to say. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That is, by faith, we sow good works to the Spirit. And ultimately, we recognize that the reaping of rewards is not necessarily in this life. This is still rooted and oriented in grace. The reaping of the reward ultimately cannot be seen yet because it's the reaping of the reward of eternal life. And while there are signs and, 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 and forerunners to eternal life in this life, abundant life in this life, nonetheless, you can't ultimately see eternal life until we go to be with the Lord. And yet we continue to sow to the Spirit. Why? First of all, because of the reality of judgment. See what the Bible says in verse 7. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. We believe in a judgment day. But we, we believe that there will be a day where we stand before God, and whatever it is we've sown in this life will be reaped in the next. My question is whether or not you've sown unto the Spirit by grace through faith, there's a reality of judgment, but also we continue to sow to the Spirit because there are benefits and reckonings in this life. When you sow to the Spirit, you reap spiritual benefits from the Spirit. But when you sow to the flesh, you reap, the Bible says, corruption. And we can see the way that living a flesh-based, flesh-focused, flesh-oriented life leads to corruptions and reckonings and problems in this life. And we can see the way that ultimately, even when we are in trials and difficulties, sowing to the Spirit results in good things in this life. But ultimately, we recognize the promise of reward in the life to come. We sow to the Spirit, trusting that God has a better plan for us than what we can provide for ourselves in this life. Some of you may say, I'm just about done sowing to the Spirit, and I'm just about done with God because I don't feel like I'm getting the results I was promised. I feel like if you act right and do right, live a good Christian life, then you ought to get right. <laughs> you can get good. You get what you deserve. But my friends, the promise, the ultimate promise of the reward, the ultimate reaping that we will all experience as believers is a reaping of eternal life in the life to come. Are we okay? Are we okay with living a life that's hidden with Christ and God? And are we okay with every good thing about us only being revealed on the last day? Not pressing and pushing to be seen in this life. Are we willing to not grow weary in sowing to the Spirit? And are we willing to not grow weary in doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way? It's one thing to do good things. It's one thing to sow to the Spirit. But I think in a lot of ways, the pressure of life in this world has pushed a lot of us to have an attitude that is less than Christ-like. 
a less than Christ-like attitude. The Bible doesn't say just go do good works. The Bible says to sow to the Spirit and to reap the benefits and rewards from the Spirit. And I think some of us are so committed to showing the pagans around us that we are Christian and not pagan like them that we've begun to take on a haughty and unchristlike attitude. But instead, my friends, don't grow weary. Some of us are just so frustrated with everybody around us, you know? I wish these folks could just read the Bible and get it like I do. Like you can read the Bible and get it without God's help. Like you weren't, as the Bible says, plucked from the fire yourself. Will we do the Lord's work? I believe we will. The question is this morning, will we do it in the Lord's way? You see, our good works, the good things we do, can't be couched in unkind, unbiblical attitudes and actions. We must love one another. Even as we have steel spines for the truth of God, we must have soft hearts toward people who are far from the Lord. My friends, do not grow weary in sowing to the Spirit. No matter what is seen, no matter what is not seen, continue to remember that Christians sow to the Spirit. But second of all, Christians are sustained by the Spirit. That's our second point this morning. Christians are sustained by the Spirit. Notice what the Bible says in verse 9. I love this verse. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's easy to get tired of doing good, But we must, as the King King James says, faint not. Faint not. Don't give up. Now, it's one thing for me to stand here and just say, all right, here's, here's the sermon today. Is everybody ready? You're a Christian, right? You're a Christian. You're a believer. You trust in Jesus. All right. Don't give up. Let's pray. It doesn't work like that, does it? I mean, of course you know not to give up, Right? Of course you know not to give up. Of course you know you want to press on. Sometimes I do fear, though, those of us who believe in the beautiful doctrine of perseverance, or, or simply put, once saved, always saved. I do fear sometimes that it can breed. It's a beautiful doctrine, one of my favorites. It's one of the main reasons I'm a Baptist. I, I love the fact that the Bible teaches us that God keeps us Christian. But th- sometimes I fear, though, that that beautiful doctrine breeds a sense of complacency in us. Right? It can breed a sense of complacency. That, that maybe, oh, well, I'm already endowed with heaven, so I don't have to do much now because I'm good to God. But I want us to remember that there's a work to be done by the believer in exercising faith, in, in pressing on into faith. Test, the Bible says, and see whether or not you are in the faith. I think we have to make sure that we recognize this, but there's... Beauty in the fact, even as we're pressed not to give up, there's beauty in the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work to sustain sustain us. You have help. The Holy Spirit helps us in perseverance. In fact, here you even see one way the Holy Spirit helps you in perseverance. It's by warning you that you might have a tendency to want to give up. That's a means by which God keeps you Christian. It's the means of His Word. You should not be alarmed. When doing good is harm, is hard, is difficult. You shouldn't be alarmed when doing good 
is difficult. I think some of us are. I, I think some of us wake up in the morning and say, if I was a Christian, it wouldn't be this hard. If, if I was a Christian, it wouldn't be so hard to try to follow Jesus. If I was a Christian, it wouldn't be so hard to get up when it's 29 degrees outside and get ready and go to church. If I lost an hour of sleep last night, it shouldn't be this hard. Where in the world did you get that idea from the Bible? I bet it's not from the Bible. I bet it's from the devil. It's difficult to follow Jesus. Everything in this world conspires against you to get you to give up. The world wants you to give up. Have you ever noticed the way the world delights in deconversion stories? I mean, people love to highlight people who have left Christianity. It's like folks sitting around waiting on people to leave Christianity. The world delights in people giving up. The world's designed to draw you away from Jesus. Your flesh would love nothing more than for you to give up because your flesh is hungry. It's hungry for sin. It's hungry for self-satisfaction. My little sister and brother-in-law right now are uh, in India. I saw the Taj Mahal today. But they're not there just to travel. They're in Delhi right now. They're going to the United States Embassy tomorrow to finish out their adoption of a little girl. Her name's Ruthann Ramage. They're there uh, adopting her right now. And uh, so she's three years old, just turned three. Um, she was born with spina bifida, so she's not able to walk. And so she spent her whole life in an orphanage where, where she was, had to be taken care of pretty intensely. And um, we talked to them a little bit about how things have gone since they've been there. And they took a flight the other day from... Bangalore or Bengaluru where she was near where she was major city there in India up to Delhi and New Delhi where the United States Embassy is there one of the largest cities in the world and they told us um, that she hated the airplane she's three years old she hated the airplane she did not like the flight my brother-in-law who's probably the most positive guy I know said it was a C-minus experience <laughs> Of course, Whitney and I said, you know, to be fair, three-year-olds hate everything except getting their way. Three-year-olds hate everything but getting their way. We talk about three. People talk about the terrible twos. Somebody came up with that when their kid was two before their kid had turned three. We talk a little bit about how when kids are three, you know, they're just old enough, just old enough, they're still cute enough that everybody gives them a little bit of a pass. But they're just old enough to really discover the deliciousness of disobedience. In other words, you can see the flesh coming out in a three-year-old in a way you can't in almost any other age. Of course, they're learning that right now. The, the, the flesh comes out. You don't have to teach a child to disobey. I mean, you don't have to teach a child to want its own way. And you don't have to teach your flesh to want its own way. It's bent toward you giving up. It's tired of having a boss. <laughs> tired of having a boss the world the flesh the devil wants you to give up all the powers of hell are concentrated on trying to trying to thwart the plan of god and satan hates you because jesus loves you the world the flesh and the devil this whole world the whole enterprise is designed to make you want to give up don't be surprised when it's hard when it's hard to persevere, when it's hard to press on, we are reminded to be on guard against discouragement and weariness in doing good. 
We're pressed by this world. We're pressed by our sin. We're pressed by the devil. But brothers and sisters, we are pressed against hope. You see what the Bible says? Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We're pressed against hope. It's hard, but you've got hope. It's difficult, but you've got hope. This world's a mess, but you've got hope. You're discouraged by the things you see around you, but you've got hope. You're discouraged by what you see in your own heart, but you've got hope. You're discouraged as you realize that the life you have is withering away, but you've got hope. Hope in Christ. For if we continue to sow into the Spirit, if we continue to press on in obeying Jesus, Paul says, if Christ wasn't raised, we are of all men most to be pitied. So if if we press on in Christ, we are pressed against hope, believing that one day it will pay off. May not perfectly in this life, we may suffer in this life. And the devil may whisper in our ear, oh, how would God treat his child like that? I would never treat my child like that. And you know what you can say is you know that Jesus is the Son of God. And you see the way that God treated his son. He allowed his son to suffer in this way. He poured his wrath out on his son. Oh, he would not spare you the same treatment that he treated his sons. God loves his children but he doesn't spoil his children. In due season, we will reap. Do not grow weary. Do not grow tired. Are you willing to trust God that, is he, that he is able to keep that which you've committed unto him against that day? The day when we reap, reap the reward of our faith, Jesus himself. Finally, not only do we, are we sustained by the Spirit, not only do we sow to the Spirit, but finally, Christians do good by the Spirit. Christians do good by the Spirit. There's no such thing as a peacock Christian. There's no such thing as a strutting Christian. Christians don't have their chest stuck out. Christians know that any good we do, we do by the Spirit. Notice what verse 10 says. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, the primary mission and goal of the church is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our commission. That's what we're called to do. And yet, one way we adorn the preaching of the gospel, over and over in the Bible, we're told to do good to others. This seems to have primarily a financial or substantial uh, aspect to it, helping others in their time of need. But it can mean any sort of good doing, doing good to others. Let us do good to everyone. Notice he qualifies it. He says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. As we have opportunity, we don't always have opportunity to do good to others. In fact, I've had several of you this week say, Pastor, how can we help those who are suffering in Ukraine? Man, I love that heart. We don't know the opportunity always. What's the best thing we can do? If you want to give, you can give to Send Relief. It's the uh, arm, the disaster relief, another relief arm of the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, to come together, put together this program called Send Relief. You can give right on the website, or if you want to give through the church, we'll pass it along. Glad to do that. 
But the Bible says as we have opportunity, we don't always know the opportunity. So let me encourage you in two ways. First of all, why don't you look for opportunity? As you have opportunity, just look for opportunity. I think if we start to think about our weeks, how can I do good to everyone this week? We may find opportunities we didn't know were there, right? We may be missing some opportunities. But that's why the Bible says, as you have opportunity, let's think about it. Most of us are some of the most blessed people in the world. And you'd be shocked. Some of you say, well, I'm not a millionaire, and I'm not this, and I'm not that. I can't really help someone. Isn't it amazing what a simple, kind word can do to somebody? Whitney and I, uh, just uh, a couple weeks ago, were in a coffee shop out of town, and uh, they, it took a while. They had run out of what, what we wanted, and it was taking them a while to get everything switched out, and, um, and they gave us one, and then we were waiting on the other one. And uh, we just sat there. I mean, we didn't really even say anything. And um, a few minutes later, they came up and said, hey, here's your cold brew or whatever. And we were like, great, thank you so much. They were like, thank you for being so great about this. And I kind of looked at Whitney and I thought, is this really the standard these days? Just to not yell at folks? I mean, guys, that's how low the bar is right now for us to do good to others. You can go to Starbucks and not yell at people. And they'll be like, something's different about this person. You know, just not hollering gets you a long way down the road these days. Now imagine then being proactively kind to folks. Just how far down the road we could get as Christians. You know, there'll be people who, when you love them intentionally and you do good to them intentionally, even people you might disagree with or, or who you might not like by nature, who are going to think, I thought Christians didn't like us. You're showing me love. Look for opportunity, but also pray for opportunity. Ask God to give you opportunities to good, do good to others. So many of us are sitting at home and worrying about the world and thinking about the world our grandkids are going to grow up in and worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow and fuming and smoking out our ears about what's happening in Washington, D.C. or Brooklyn or Los Angeles or Hollywood or wherever else it is, and we're so frustrated, and then we go out and we think, what could I do? What could I do? What could I do? Well, not debate folks in the comment section. Not be unkind to people who you disagree with. What if doing good to everyone was part of the solution? What if Christians just decided, hey, you know what? You may not treat us the way we want to be treated, but we're going to treat you like we want to be treated. Does that sound familiar to anyone here? Isn't that precisely what Jesus told us today? Isn't that precisely how we fulfill the law? Isn't that the golden rule? Let us do good to everyone, but especially those of the household of faith. Folks, I think, try to pit this idea and do good to everyone against one another. As if our love for a Christian counts less than our love for the world. Or as if our love for people in the world is necessarily at the expense of our love for God's people. But don't forget that Jesus said they will know you are Christians by the love you have for one another. It's important for us to love those in the household of faith. And only the Holy Spirit can do this. I forget one time I preached at a church and they came up to me afterward and they were talking and, and they just were trashing their church just trashing their church. And they were kind of doing some 
compliments to me that I did not receive well because I realized this isn't about me. This is about their hatred of what's going on here now. They're just trashing their church. And then they said, um, and, and I just can't figure out why nobody wants to come visit. And I said, well, huh, I think I've got an idea. If we go out trashing our church, talking bad about other Christians, talking about all the hypocrisy, highlighting all the bad things, straining every gnat of every believer around us, why would people want in on that? But if instead we decide that we're going to love one another and do good to one another and support one another and bear one another's burdens, oh, how that could transform the world. Just as people see what's happening in the church, they long to be a part of a loving community. Nonetheless, the Bible does say, don't miss it, do good to everyone. Yes, everyone. You mean that guy? Yes, that guy. You mean those people? Yes, those people. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the world says you can do anything. But as soon as you do something that you can't do, there's no rules, you don't know when it's going to happen, but you may trigger it at some point. It's a tough run to get back in, isn't it? There's no grace in the world. There's, there's, there's no option to come back after you violated whatever law man cares about this week. Doesn't the world need people who do good to everyone no matter what? No matter what they look like, no matter what they think like, no matter how opposed to us they are? Wouldn't it be a good thing for us to do good to everyone, to start here and let the love we have for one another overflow and spill out into those around us? My friends, I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I know you're probably just about fed up with it all. But my friends, don't grow weary in doing good. Continue to press on into life in the Spirit. And do what God has called you to do because the people around us desperately need the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't grow weary in doing good. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I believe He will save you today. If you turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus. Second of all, you may be a believer and say, Pastor, I'm growing weary in doing good. I need help. I need someone to encourage me. I need prayer. This altar's open or you can pray right where you are. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be for me today to talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I'd like to invite you to come. Let's pray together.